Hello and welcome back to the Thundersix Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be giving you guys a recap of the Thunder Houston Rockets game and just talking about some other stuff too because there's a lot of stuff that has been happening in the basketball realm. Kind of starts with college basketball. I don't normally talk about anything outside of the Oklahoma City Thunder and stuff going on with them. But oh my gosh, this weekend has been amazing for college basketball. You know, right before the Thunder Rockets game, the Loyola-Chicago-Illinois game was going on. And I'm not going to lie, I had to flip channels. I feel like maybe some of you guys probably did as well. They got some killer players on that Loyola-Chicago team. Cameron Crutwig, um, I think the other one is it's like something Williamson or whatever, but... I mean, they were there not too long ago. I think it was three years ago. They made the Final Four. Those guys returning from that roster and just destroying Illinois, a team that honestly on paper looks extremely scary, was wild. So great day to start off, you know, just everything, I guess, when you're watching basketball the whole day. And then you get to the Thunder-Houston Rockets game, and it's pretty down on the wire exactly where you want it, and you get the end result that you know, I think some people would be pretty happy with because the Oklahoma City Thunder were able to defeat the Houston Rockets just barely 114 to 112. So because of this, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they moved up to 18 and 24 on the season. Now they are actually above the New Orleans Pelicans. So without a doubt, they're the number 11 seed in the West while Houston they have just gone into shambles. Like, I understand that they're in a really crappy situation. And their head coach, I mean, Steven Silas, I don't think he would have taken the Rockets job knowing what he's had to deal with these past couple months. He looked like a perfect guy with the Dallas Mavericks. Someone who's highly touted around the league to now having this kind of blemish mark on his resume because... All the crap he's had to go through. I mean, James Harden didn't want to be there. You get Victor Oladipo. He really doesn't find any interest in the roster. P.J. Tucker, he wants out. I mean, hell, they even, whenever he took the job, he was expecting that Russell Westbrook and James Harden were going to be together anyway. So he had to listen to James Harden, got Russell Westbrook out of there. James Harden leaves, left with a lot of other players, and you don't really have anybody outside of Christian Wood, Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate, and maybe... Kenyon Martin Jr. if he amounts to a lot so he doesn't have a lot of pieces and this is more of a rebuilding team that's not what the that's not the position he signed up for so he got kind of screwed when it came to that but you know the fact that he went from being a coach that was running a positive team they were 11 and 10 now they just lost their 20th game in a row 11 and 30 on the season these guys are tanking super freaking hard, and it's wild because they actually had one of their better players back. You know, Christian Wood, Oladipo was there, John Wall was there, and you even had Kevin Porter Jr. show up, and Kevin Porter Jr. was actually ruled out yesterday. They took him off the injury report, so he actually played a little bit, but yeah, I mean, I thought that if you're going up against a Thunder team that has three out of their five starters missing, if you can't beat them, I don't know who you're going to beat. So I don't know how they're going to end up winning a game. And I don't even know if they're trying to win a game at this point. I mean, some of the stuff that was going on looked like they were just disinterested in playing basketball. So 
they have a lot of stuff they got to deal with. I think that the Houston fan base honestly does not care that much. If they're watching the games, you know, they probably are just pointing out Christian Wood has a lot of potential. Kevin Porter Jr. looks like he's going to be a star. Not much else can be said there, though, because they keep losing and the end goal is they're going to get a top pick in this draft and we're clashing with them. This is obvious. You know, there's reports all throughout the year talking about the pick that, you know, was given to us through this Russell Westbrook trade. Didn't seem like it would matter. The protections on it would even matter entering this season. But now, yeah, I mean, this is the forefront of thunder talk almost because this pick is more valuable than ours right now. And it can't be one through four for us. If it's one through four, Houston gets that pick. If it's five through 30, Oklahoma City gets the first. Now, you can just rule out everything. They're not making the playoffs. They're probably not going to be outside that top 10. They're probably not going to be outside that top eight, you know, just due to the nature of the odds. If you're the worst team in the league, you can be one through five. Number two in the league, one through six, three, one through seven, you know, that kind of stuff. And Right now, I just don't see them dropping or improving uh, to be like a fourth or fifth worst team in the league. I don't know if you consider that an improvement, but I guess like I don't think that they are going to be getting it better anytime soon. So they're probably going to be the worst or second worst team in the league come the end of the regular season. So they're going to be looking at like a 50-50 shot, a coin flip of getting their pick. And we just kind of have to sit around and watch it happen. Now, this was a game where we could actually control just a little bit of the odds there. And this was a, by all accounts, a rest day. Like, Shea out with the shoulder injury. Darius Baisley's actually hurt, so he gets a pass. And Al Horford just on a, another rest day, even though I don't think we're on a back-to-back. Actually, we might be. But, yeah, Al Horford has to take a rest day, too. So it's like, you know, you get all the young guys back into the lineup. You had Maladon at the one. You had Dort playing at the two. Poku at the three. Roby. And then you got Moses Brown rounding out the lineup. You didn't touch some of your veterans. Mike Muscala didn't play. Darius Miller didn't play. But you were able to get others to play. Kendrick Williams played. Justin Jackson played. Ty Jerome and Shree McKaylee played. So you had a nine-man rotation going up against these guys. And... You really lose not in your star. Like just looking at looking at the rosters on paper, how on earth would the Rockets like lose the game? They have people who have been all stars before and players who deserve to be all stars. And Christian Wood, if he never got hurt, probably would be an all star this year, or he would have been close to it. And then you have John Wall and Victor Oladipo already playing for you. And Kevin Porter Jr. He only played twenty minutes, but he still was out there for them. So they couldn't get anything in sync to make a real stretch against the thunder and you know it was close i think that both sides really couldn't find any source of offense to start out the game like the thunder they had a pretty good run to cap the first quarter off it was it was a late 9-0 run to get them up 31 to 22 to begin the game but outside of that there was nothing and then the second quarter really not much was happening like the okc bench plugged in they were great they got the lead up to 13 and then just kind of got evaporated slowly by the Rockets so it was only a four point lead for the Thunder heading into that second half 66 to 62 third quarter you get another one of those mini runs from the Thunder Alexi Pokachevsky comes in hits two major triples 7-0 run to push them a little bit away entering the fourth quarter and then whenever you get into the fourth 
it kind of was just back and forth. There was a one possession lead, really the entirety of quarter number four, kind of a nail biter. And you kind of watching it like, do you want the Thunder to win? Or, you know, what is going on? Obviously, you can't be upset that the Thunder won this game. But it's like, man, when you're thinking about draft implications, it's hard to not think about that. So you're watching the game and it's like, who am I rooting for? I was rooting for the Thunder, but like at the same time, I wouldn't have been crazy upset if the Rockets won. You know what I'm saying? So games down on the line. The Rockets, they reclaim the lead, like a one-point lead with about 340 to go or some odd number right there. And the Thunder, they have to claw back. So they get the lead back with a minute to go. Pokachevsky, he has the ball. He mishandles it or whatever. Rockets don't convert on the other end. So you get one of these plays where, you know, you're not going to foul because it's a one-point game. But the team that's leading has around 40 seconds to work with. They're going to drain that entire clock out and try to turn it into either a three-point game or a four-point game for, like, a last possession situation. So they're not going to get a two-possession chance here. So you kind of just drain the clock out, and Lou Dort has it, top of the key. He wants the dagger. We saw him throw one out, you know, not too long ago. I think it was against the Spurs where he hit the right corner three to end it at the buzzer. But he tried getting a major shot to go top of the key, was not able to hit it. So Victor Oladipo gets the rebound. John Wall is screaming for this. He gets the outlet pass and he just goes out running. He goes blazing, cuts in from the right wing. And I don't know if he was going for a foul or what, but he kind of just runs right into the teeth of the Thunder defense. And Lou Dort, he comes out of nowhere. He skies up and smacks the living crap out of this shot. He volleyball swats it. Thunder are able to get the basketball. They call a timeout. They advance it. Pogachevsky gets it. He gets a line. He splits it. So the th- the uh, the Rockets, my bad. They actually have another chance to win this game. Only down two points with around four seconds to go. John Wall won it again. They threw it in from the left sideline. And top of the key, Lou Dort right in front of him. Goes for a curry range shot. 29 footer. And it hit left iron. So that was the ball game. That's how the Thunder were able to make it all work out. But I don't know. I mean, this was a this is a good win for the Thunder squad. I think no doubt they outperformed the Rockets. But when you're looking down the line, man, these are the kind of games where it's like, you know, should we have lost this game? You don't do that. Mark Dagnall does not want to do that. No one on the Thunder wants to do that. But it's kind of a hypothetical to think about. Probably not a good one because it already happened. But I think you guys kind of know where I'm going with this. There's this whole tanker mindset going on with a lot of the Thunder fan base. And it makes sense. And then there's this, like, other side where it's like, you know, let's just see how it goes. And then you have, like, that super duper minority group where it's like we need to win we need to make the playoffs it's like what the hell so you really kind of just size that out it's either you just let things happen let the rebuild go on or you tank and I guess I understand both sides of that spectrum so they get the W and you kind of move along here for your next game you have I thought it was a great performance from everybody it started with Lou Dort I mean he ended up leading the team with 23 points and he was kind of just doing it all 10 of 22 on the game, 3 of 10 from downtown, was not able to get to the line as much as usual, only got there twice and missed both attempts, but, you know, he got 3 rebounds, 3 assists, the major part 
came at defense. Like, last possession, he was the man to get a steal and a block. He didn't get the steal in that last possession, but a little bit before then. Major part was that block, though. That sealed the game for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Outside of that, Isaiah Roby was amazing. Now, he had a bit of a scare in the third quarter where he was going up for a rebound, I believe. Or it was, it was a rebound or a block, right? And he jumps up. His wrist gets jammed in between the rim and the backboard. So you already know, like his his hand is like draping over the rim and then he like hits that backboard. That's going to do some damage. So he's holding his wrist, kind of hobbling up and down the court for like two possessions. He actually got the ball for a layup with his wrist too. Like he had to, he had to put up a shot with his wrist that clearly had some issues on it. So it must have been painful, very painful for him, but he got it done. Maladone did an intentional foul. He got back to the locker room and he actually came right back out like a minute or two in the fourth quarter. So he seemed to be all right. He actually took a tumble with Jay Sean Tate a little bit later in the fourth where they were both really slow to get up. I don't know if Roby's going to be out. If he is, it's not going to be that long term because it didn't seem that serious, it seemed like a sprain or something of that nature, but he definitely balled out when he was on the court. He he had um yeah, he had 18 points on 6 of 13 shooting, 0 of 2 from downtown, but he got to the line 7 times. That was your team high and he made 6 of them. Also, you already know when it comes to rebounds, he is very very good for his size. Eight of them on the game and even had two assists to tack on. Now, that's when you start looking at some other people. So you had those two starters really being your core. Around them, you had two more starters who placed double digits. Moses Brown and Teo Maladon. Maladon was running with the first and second unit for a lot of this game. He always seems to do that. So, you know, you saw him getting like 35 plus minutes where he was out playing SGA. He didn't do that. He played 32, but that's still a pretty sizable amount when you're kind of cutting down on your roster. So he had 12 points on 4 of 12 shooting, 2 of 7 from downtown, and 2 of 2 on free throws, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, but the major part was 3 steals. So he was getting right back to the defensive roots that we saw a little bit earlier into the season. And he was still going inside for a basket. So I don't think he was hitting everything because he was fairly open on most of his threes, but I'm not really going to complain about it. I, th I thought Maladon did a great job, and then when it comes to Moses Brown, 28 minutes, he had that down game against the Atlanta Hawks, springs right back up against the undersized Houston Rockets, and gets another double-double, 13 points and 14 rebounds on 28 minutes, and when you look at that, you may look at the points, look at the rebounds, and don't just see it as 14, see it as 8 and 6. 8 offensive rebounds on this game. He is making all these tiny centers pay. He is changing the game, and I don't know if he can do it in a starting role against the big boys, but whenever you have benches that are just kind of diluted with some small ball fives, Moses Brown will crush them, and he did it against great centers. Or I guess I'd probably just consider it one great center. But they had Christian Wood, a guy who I have seen really throughout the season and even in his time with Detroit and, you know, that tiny period with the Pelicans. I saw him as a guy that you could place at the five, a future five who would be able to withstand players that are a lot bigger, like a John Collins almost. 
and he wasn't able to do it. He was not able to do it against Moses Brown. The height advantage was too much for him to outweigh, and he just struggled to really do anything to him. Christian Wood was not big enough to kind of manhandle him, and he wasn't, I guess, athletic enough in this game to really disrupt much of Moses Brown's plans, which is just grab the ball and throw it right back up. So you get him doing whatever, and then off the bench, the only other center you really have is DJ Wilson, but come on, man. I mean, I saw him in Michigan. I saw him in Milwaukee. He's more of that stretch four. Like, he's not going to play serious time at the five spot, and they don't really have anyone to do that outside of him right now. So they have Justin Patton. He didn't actually play. So yeah, you got DJ Wilson playing like scarce minutes. Didn't contribute at all. So going up against a weak five rotation, yeah, Moses Brown is going to feast every single time. So it makes sense why Mark Dagnall probably just wanted to start him anyways because he did have major success. But I think the biggest success story actually came off the bench in this game, and it was Shvi Mikhailuk. Originally, whenever we traded for him with Hamadou Diallo, we get Shvi in a 2027 second round pick, whatever. Originally, it's like, how is Shvi going to fit in with the team? Diallo, he gives you the kind of electricity off that bench unit, and he can really just play make for you too, because he is learning how to pass. How is Shvi, as a catch and shoot six foot seven wing, going to give that much production? And the answer is he does it in a different way. He does it from distance. He's a catch-and-shoot player, just as mentioned. But he actually does have some decent parts to his game to kind of back that. And we didn't see it in this first game. He had zero points on 0 of 2 shooting in his Thunder debut. And it's like, man, what what the hell? We got to get him kind of playing on another level. So coming into this game... We didn't really know how much we'd see of Shvi. We probably knew that we'd see him a little bit, but he ended up getting 21 minutes, and he killed it. He killed the opportunity. 15 points. That is up there with his season high, even when you look at the Pistons games. I think his season high is like 18 or 19. So he comes in just great. I mean, he's sitting in the wing, sitting in the corner. If he's open, you dot him up, and he is going to just make that triple. He was 3 of 6 on the game. And then whenever he was working inside, he was 3 of 5 as well. And there was just a clear difference in how the Thunder's second unit was playing with him in there as opposed to Hamadou Diallo. Because when you have Hamadou Diallo, that entire lane is going to be clogged up. You take that away whenever you got a guy like Shvi, and now you can play 5-out offense, especially when Isaiah Roby is playing small ball 5. So you get that in, and now you can start slashing the basket. So you see other players cutting in, and even Shvi was getting on the action. I didn't see him as a penetrator, but he was going in, dribble drives, finding openings, and he was able to kick the ball out. I mean, he had a perfect pass in the fourth quarter to Lou Dort. He cut in, saw him in the right corner, kind of like jumped up, was hovering above the out-of-bounds line, and he fired it off, beautiful left-handed pass, and it was a nothing-but-net three. So, I love to see it from him. I think that he probably, even whenever SGA comes back and everyone else comes back, should have some time. He's only 23. We need to know a lot more about him before, you know, free agency period because he is a restricted free agent. And I'd assume teams would place offers. We need to know if we need him for the future and if he'd seriously be at peace with us because of how much future capital we have. We don't necessarily know 
who we would want long term because those spots are going to be very highly coveted as we get more and more picks just coming into the system or we trade you know you never know what we can do with those things but yeah I think that this was a very strong start for him and this just shows like anyone can come into this system right now under Mark Dagnall and kind of shine that's something that you did not see with Billy Donovan and Scott Brooks really like Sam Presti I think he's good at evaluating talent but he pieces players together and they just never seem to work off that bench like the past seasons where we were trying to make the playoffs actively what did our bench unit consist of like I think our best one probably came in like 2016 like I I liked Enos Kanter but he couldn't really play on the screens and then Jeremy Grant was solid too I think Alex Abrines might have been there as well, maybe Cameron Payne or something like that, but we never really had that amazing bench unit, maybe like 20, 2012 too, but I don't really, I don't really like talking about that. So you didn't have an elite second unit to cater to your group. Like there were, there was a clear distinction between your starters and your bench players. They could not really collide with each other and the end result wouldn't be that pretty. Now, you can mix and match seamlessly and you pretty much get the exact same kind of results. And even in some cases, you play better with your bench unit than you do with your starters anyways. So it's wild what Mark Dagnall has done. I do think that kind of needs to be credited to him. I think that also just the players that we've been getting are so much different than players of the past. Like they can actually do multiple different things. But you saw under Billy Donovan where players were kind of silenced from some of their like strengths. Like Mike Muscala, he was a corner player only. As we've seen, he's much more than that. So you get that. I think that's the clear example you kind of get from our team right now because it's so different. I think Hamadou Diallo as well, he just didn't get a play. And now he's in Detroit, probably going to be vying for that starting gig anyways. So yeah, I think that you know, other players just didn't want to let everybody lose. Mark Dagnall has done that, and you are starting to see a lot of players just dominate. Like, Isaiah Roby is coming out of nowhere. Kendrick Williams, out of nowhere. Now, Shvi, I would kind of say. Not out of nowhere, but, I mean, I do think, compared to where he was in Detroit, not having a spot, he's kind of emerged. And you've even seen other guys like Justin Jackson blow off every once in a while for, like, a 20-point outing. So anybody on any given night can produce, and that's what I love to see from this team so you get really a good core to follow you around we don't know what this roster is going to look like by the end of this season and the trade deadline which is in four days now but you just got to kind of enjoy the ride while we have it because this bench is very special like this is one of the more depth heavy teams in the league and I'm saying that with a straight face like I seriously believe that a lot more depth on this bench than we have seen probably in the past five years with this Thunder roster maybe even longer than that to be quite honest with you it's just wild to see how how so many people are just turning into amazing players for us but we have that going on for the the roster I can't say the same about the Rockets I mean they they really struggled off that bench to find anybody to score I think yeah they had 12 bench points how much did the Thunder have they had 30 between Jackson and Mikhail Luke, and then you had Kenrich Williams and Ty Jerome combining for nine points. So 39 to 12 in that bench point column. Think of that. That's kind of one of the main reasons they won that game. But yeah, this bench is decked out, and 
we're gonna have to see how the minutes kind of work out. This is just like a Hamadou Diallo situation, and you're kind of not even thinking about Darius Baisley either. Like, whenever SGA comes back, whenever Darius Baisley comes back, if Horford doesn't get traded, someone's gonna have to kind of get cut off, and we saw it happen to Mike Muscala, we've seen it happen to Justin Jackson, Kenrich Williams had it done to him, and so did Isaiah Roby. You can't, for sure, you can't take away minutes from Roby or Kenrich Williams right now. The veterans are the ones that you'd be trying to get away, but the problem is you don't really have that many young players left, or old players left, on this roster to move. Like, George Hill is there, but do we even play him if we can't move him? I think we will move him, but do we even play him? I don't even think so. Al Horford, you kind of have to play. And Mike Muscala, I think he's going to get traded, but if not, like, you really don't have a role for him anymore. So, they got a lot of things they got to deal with heading into the trade deadline. They just got to work it out and, you know, see what happens with this bench. But I've been loving what I've seen, and it seems like every other game or so, there is somebody who has a pretty noteworthy performance with the team. So, yep, that's kind of my takeaways from this game. It's kind of like a live reaction almost because, you know, just coming off watching tournament basketball, you got the Thunder game at 1. Beautiful placement. I said this in the last episode, but this is beautiful scheduling by the networks here. You had the Thunder game at 1 p.m. I think ORU starts at around 625 Central Standard Time. And then the Oklahoma State Cowboys play at 840. Beautiful time selection here. If it was me having to choose between the Thunder and ORU or Thunder versus Oklahoma State, I would be just pulling my hair out because I wouldn't be able to make a decision. March Madness is so exciting. Like, it's probably might be a high, on a higher level than the NBA playoffs because of how how much stakes are on the line. And we don't ever really see, you don't see ORU in the tournament. You don't see Oklahoma State in the tournament. OU is typically there, but they're playing tomorrow. They're, they're going to have a high-stakes game against Gonzaga. So, yeah, you can't really just pick between those two because there's so much on both those games. So, they made it pretty easy here. I think it made it easy on everybody. So I'm going to finish this. I'm probably going to do like a write-up or whatever. You guys can find that on my website, kylesingler4mvp.com. And then I'm going to go back to watching basketball. I know that there was a game that I was just now missing out on. I think it got a little bit close, actually. Um, Let me check on what game that was. Oh, yeah, it was the Baylor-Wisconsin game. Yeah, yeah. Baylor ended up winning, but... Yeah, I got that, and then you got the Syracuse-West Virginia game. I had Syracuse in my Elite Eight, so I'm going to need to watch this, and I honestly don't want to see Syracuse advance because I think if there's an eventual Syracuse-Oklahoma State matchup or whoever they'd be facing, they'd be they'd be scary. Like, Syracuse is always dangerous in that tournament. I don't want to see them anywhere close to Oklahoma State if it does get to that point. So I have Syracuse here. My my bracket's like already in the garbage. I got screwed over with the Purdue loss against North Texas. The um, what was it? The Texas game. I had Texas in my final four. I'm not complaining about them losing, to be quite honest with you, because you know that's a little bit of revenge for beating Oklahoma State in the Big Twelve tournament. But those two are out. My bracket's gone. Loyola Chicago just destroying Illinois, as I've said. I had you know Illinois winning that game and losing in the Sweet 16, so it didn't matter much, but it's all out there, like, 
but just how every bracket should go, you shouldn't really care too much about your bracket, just watch the games and enjoy the Cinderella stories that come with it. So that's what I'm going to be doing. The round of 64 is probably my favorite because you get to see, you know, the two verse 15s, the David versus Goliath, but you still see that in the round of 32. You know, we saw it with Loyola Chicago. Maybe there might be some repeats tonight because you do have North Texas playing their ball game. I think they're playing Villanova or something like that. And then even tomorrow, you got Ohio with Jason Preston. So a lot of stacked games to look at. It's going to be very fun to watch all of those games. I know I'm going a little bit off track. I'd normally just talk about the straight up thunder, but oh my goodness, this is such a great basketball weekend. Cannot talk about that enough. And you know, you're going to be able to start off your week, your work week, pretty solid as well because you're going to have the OU game, but you're also going to have a Thunder game. They are coming into tomorrow with a second game against another pretty low-liar team in the NBA. In fact, they are the bottom dweller right now, the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think when you evaluate them versus the Houston Rockets, Minnesota's clearly a little better right now because Anthony Edwards has begun to look like a star. So you got to face him. You see kind of how everything works out in this game, and you go off from that one. So this is going to be another big game when it comes to standings. You can't really say yes or no on losing or winning this game, but yeah, you just watch it just like the Houston game. Kind of come in with no expectations and see how the team operates. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya. If you would like even more up-to-date news on the Oklahoma City Thunder, make sure to check out Kyle Singler for MVP.com, my website, getting you daily Thunder news on game recaps, other stories, and rumors surrounding the team.